Okay, so we don't usually talk about current events very often on Trek About, mostly because we record these ahead of time. We like to have a backlog of episodes in case one of us gets sick or decides to fuck off to Japan for a month, which has never happened, but you never know. Uh, especially, Konnichiwa, Hajime Mashite. <laughs> especially in light of the events uh, of the past week. We are recording this on the Sunday after the U.S. presidential election. And uh, we just wanted to start off with the top of the show by saying, um, fuck Trump. Yeah, we it, it, I, I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned something like, oh, we we're doing this ahead of time. So who knows what will happen after November 8th, figuring that our country wouldn't reveal itself into this ugly, horrible form. And frankly, I don't know what's going to be different between us recording this right now and when this is going to be released like fuck it's going to be a heavy time it's very possible that harry reed might be in prison it's very possible that hillary clinton might be dead we don't know what's going to happen um we're not saying that we're going to kill hillary clinton just to make that clear uh but you know but if but we would certainly like the opportunity to kill mike pence and have trump framed for it but that's that's a different thing sure that would work um there is that saying you're having a bad day watch star trek you're having a good day watch star trek and it was very hard for me to watch Star Trek this week because it was upsetting me to watch the Federation in the throes of an enemy who is just everything antithetical to it. Although it did, it did help me and take me out to the Hall of Sweet, which I think was a, yeah. one, of the, one of the good episodes to watch this week because yeah. uh, it's very lighthearted and fun. And, but, and, fort- and also the after image was more character based. Yes. So it's true. We weren't really dealing with the war so much. But but I will say that you know when they're all lined up and the Federation anthem is playing. I was about to ask, is that the first time we've heard it? I think so. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we just wanted to start out by saying that, acknowledging the fact that that everyone is very depressed. Um, if you're not very depressed about Trump's win, um, please stop listening to this podcast. We don't want you as a listener. Uh, you're Unless a part- they're not depressed because they're like, we have this great plan to kill Mike Pence and frame Trump for it, and we at Trekabout are willing to help. Uh, yeah, I just want to take this opportunity to say that there was there is no quarter with authoritarianism. If you supported Trump, if you voted for him, I don't think we have anybody that did. Uh, maybe DJ Skinso's move. I no, he not even even he said he wasn't doing it. I almost <laughs> feel the need to apologize for suggesting that he would. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. But uh, yeah, if 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 that is the case, uh, please uh, stop listening to this podcast because we do not want you as a listener. Um, this the time is not to normalize Trump again. We don't know what's going to happen between now. And and when you're listening to this, which theoretically is at the end of December, and uh, yeah, we're scared, we're we're worried, um, and we just wanted to acknowledge that and and let everyone uh, into the big uh, Star Trek hug. I think Star Trek is kind of a thing we need. We need something that is optimistic and that is about people coming together and learning to live with each other. Because right now in America, we're seeing the ugliest parts of our country being vindicated and yeah and and you know in a very real way i i think that this is even a better time for for star trek discovery yeah so you know i i kind of wish it hadn't been delayed now because january would have been a perfect time to distract ourselves from the inauguration of uh donald but um may will work too and uh hopefully they're they're working on some some anti-trump yeah stuff in the <laughs> show because it seems very important and relevant right now so uh, I, you know, I don't think we're going to be continuing to talk about this very much because we don't want to turn this into a show about politics. But, but, at the same but we will time. be acknowledging, you know, what's going on in the world um, just a little bit at this point because, you know, we have to do uh, what we can do um, to to make sure that that 
Trump is not normalized. The people listen to him. Yeah. Uh, you know, believe what he says because he is going to do uh, what he says. And you know, we're ta- again, we're talking a week after the election. Um, by the time this is released, uh, we might be in the camps already. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. But they're not going to be camps. They're going to be private prisons. Sure. Okay. That'll Remember work. how the Department of Justice said we're going to stop using private prisons? That's going to be overturned immediately. A lot are going to be built, and that that's how this is going to look. It's not. They're, they're going to be Cardassian amusement centers is what they're going to be. Oh, my God. I want the Vulcan Cardassian. This is when we need the Vulcans to come, and yeah. we need that more than ever. As you know, first contact showed once the aliens showed themselves and Earth realized that it's in part of a – Earth got its shit together. Earth needs to get its shit together. Yeah, we do, but we're not going to, especially since Trump has already signaled his desire to uh, withdraw the United States from the uh, Paris Climate Treaty. So wow. good luck to us. But let's talk about After Image. Yeah. So this is an Esri episode. They are attempting to establish her character. And, you know, I asked you this last week, how you're feeling about Ezri, how you're feeling about the character, how you're feeling about the way in which she's different from Jadzia and, and similar to Jadzia. And I think you you see some Jadzia yes. in her. Uh, but There's even some little things like she's doing the hands behind her back kind of thing. And uh, the actress playing Ezri does certain facial expressions that are very Jadzia, too. Yeah, there was one line specifically in this episode that she said, you know, almost exactly the way Jadzia yeah. would say it. You know, I I don't I never know how I feel about Esri. I think that it, it's a very difficult thing to bring in a new character, especially one as difficult to play as as yeah. this character is, and and write frankly too, and have it work because there's so much that the show needs to do with this is the last season. You know, spending time establishing a brand new main character maybe doesn't feel like the best use of time, but I think this episode justifies it in a good way. Yeah, a lot of what they a lot of the work is foisted onto the other characters in this. So in you know, we we see Esri through how Ben is treating her, how Worf is treating her, how and all of that. So that does help it a little bit by having the other characters be the mirror for that difference. And frankly, having Esri herself being in a very confused situation helps too because She's kind of allowed to talk out who she is in a way which establishes her character through a lot of shorthand, but uh, is still justified in 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 the episode. I, I think so, and I mean, I will say I'm not the the hugest fan of this episode. I, I yeah. think it's a little, I think it's a little slow. I, I think that it definitely uh, could have used some tightening up. I, I don't know if. Garrick's claustrophobia coming yeah. back and having Ezri work on it with him works necessarily, but well, I think it's okay. I like the concept of it, but Ezri doesn't come off as a good counselor in this. Like, I was excited to see her working and, you know, this is who she is and letting the Ezri parts go, but she is a little too – and that is part Ezri. Ezri, again, is very young, is getting a lot of responsibilities and memories that she has in no way prepared for. So, sure, she's going to be – faltering and not at her best but at the same time this was an opportunity for her to be herself and dive into the work that she says she's good at and i think she does an okay job i mean i certainly think that you know we've talked before about how television in general doesn't really understand how how psychoanalysis works or psychology or anything and this is definitely an episode that that is very television in its portrayal of, of therapy 
But how does that make you feel? What tell me about your father kind of stuff? Right, exactly. And not to say that's not a part of therapy. It certainly is. But that's not really what it's for. And I, I think that Esri does a pretty good television job of being a therapist in this episode. Fair. I also think that we have to remember that that Esri is really being established as a character that um, you know was never designed to be joined, did not go through the the training to be joined, was not prepared for this in any way, shape, or form, yeah. is being overwhelmed by all these memories, is using the wrong pronouns all the time. And I, I think that her specifically, when she goes into Garrick's shop in that that first interaction they have where uh, uh, she's talking to him about his, you know, how he's doing and all that kind of stuff and the therapy starts, that she does talk about herself, I, I think, a little too much. And that to me indicates less that she's not a good therapist. I mean, therapists in general are not really supposed to tell you about themselves, but maybe that's changed in the next 300 years. Huh. Maybe that's new psychoanalysis techniques or something. But it also indicates to me that, that Esri Dax is, is struggling with this and she does have the training to be a good counselor. She does have the, the, not the experience, but the, the intelligence to be a good counselor and the empathy yeah. to be a good counselor. But she is also in a position in her life in which her her psyche and her um, personality are really in flux, and she is having to adapt to this new reality. And so, you know, on the one hand, you could say I don't know that this is really the best time for her to continue to be in Starfleet. I kind of feel like resigning from Starfleet, yeah. and going to Trill would have been a best better option for her, but or at least taking a year off. Yeah, but you know, I I think that that it is what it is, and if they want to have a counselor on the show i think it's an interesting choice but yeah it's it's a little it's a little too too something for me well yeah as the um i mean it is a valid technique to create some empathy between you and the you know your patient sure and yet esri because her personal situation is hitting her very strongly isn't able to keep enough of a distance and kind of goes a little too far in it she ends up counseling herself or having garrett counsel her um and she also does you know they talk about how she has you know six months left to her program to become a full counselor and you know, Ben says a couple times, what are you going to learn in a couple months that you haven't learned in 300 years? Which, to one degree, is fair because there are, you know, that's the entire point of being a joined trill. That right. you have all of these several hundred years and several lifetimes of experience to draw from. At the same time, the Esri part of Esri Dax is not fully, fully there, is not fully mature there. And, it, you know, has a little too much power in her memories to handle that. And yet... I do think this is going with, remember O'Brien's, I learned to be an engineer because I had 10 minutes to reprogram a transporter and I just figured it out. So there is a bit of let him dive in the deep end. So Ezri is kind of diving in the deep end. Yeah, I think so. And and, and I think the way that I interpret that that six months to, to be a full-fledged counselor is yeah. less that she hasn't done the actual studying and, and, and work and training but that six months was maybe her residency and you know because therapists do go through programs where they they um you know they they actually have counseling sessions with with people um that are uh uh, in uh uh, controlled environments they're being observed and so that's really about learning how to do that you know i think that that's really where she's coming where where cisco specifically is coming at this from where that experiential stuff about really learning to have empathy and things like that she already kind of has because she has all these lifetimes yeah you know is that true or not i don't know but but yeah and it, it, it's almost it 
in a way, it's like I already have work experience, but I don't have the degree in a way. That's yeah, fair. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, at the end of the episode, she gets promoted to lieutenant for various reasons that I don't, don't really understand. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's a nice moment. But, yeah, I don't know. And I think that, that going forward, I mean, I guess I want to ask you this question is, you know, how are you feeling about Esri Dax? I mean, I know it's still early, but – and we're not going to know her for – anywhere nearly as long yeah, as yeah, Jadzia, yeah. but do you like the choice of this character specifically for the, yes. the replacement of, of Jadzia? Well, yeah, again, because it's the, it allows the Dax character to be in Ben's life in three very different stages of life. And in a way going backwards from mentor to, to equal mm-hmm. to mentee. And I like that we have the again, fresh maker. Yes. I love those. Um, all of the characters that we have on Deep Space Nine are experts in their field, have been working on the station for about six, seven years at this point, Have are very well ingrained, are their own family, and to have an outsider in every way and to see the way that they all treat her and the way that – An outsider but not an outsider. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. she is a federation but she's also – well, she's Dax, too. I mean, that's yes. what I mean. Like, she she does have that knowledge and experience and that sort of, like, memories. Well, yeah, and where I – what I, which one of the things I find interesting, again, is the way the different characters are able to understand Trillness, for example. Mm-hmm. Again, Ben, this is the third time he's known a version of Dax. Same with uh, Jake. He's and, comfortable with this. Yeah, they, don't, it, they it's not even a difference for them. Quark is certainly backing it to her a little bit, but also, you know, for him – as he says, you know, this is the next best thing to Jadzia. It is still Dax, and Ezri's pretty cute. So as far as Quark is concerned, that's all he needs to deal with. And then you have characters like Worf, who are completely unable to wrap their head around this, even yeah. though, you know, certainly Jadzia had many conversations with Worf about how Trill works, what Trill culture is. Um, we were talking last week about Stovacor and whether or not you know, Jadzia went to Stovacor. What did ja- what happened to Jadzia Dax? Dax is still alive. And for Worf, you get the sense that any time he had an, an inkling of any of those questions, he just pushed them away. He was really just focused on getting Jadzia to Stovacor. In a right, way he kind right. of ignored all of that confusion. Now he's really forced to deal with it. And yet I, I do – I appreciate that we see Worf – trying to be as gentlemanly as he can about this, recognizing that this is my own shit. I have to deal with it. I'm grieving my wife, but I don't want to put that on you. That's not, you know, that that's not Ezri's fault. It really isn't. And yeah, you know, Worf is out of line to be cruel to her, but at the same time, I think they come to a kind of understanding that this is going to be very slow, but we're, we'll go get to it at our pace. Yeah, I think so. And I, th- I think that's why it's so smart for, for the show specifically to frame, um, you know, Worf's treatment of Ezri early on in this episode is sort of dishonoring the memory of, of Jadzia. Yeah. Cause you know, as we know, um, honor is a big part of Klingon culture and well, yeah. He, and last week he was yelling at uh, Bashir and Quark for, you know, going on this mission because they felt that was dishonoring her in some way. Right. And it, it, for me, the the Worf and Esri stuff is is interesting because Esri Dax, I think the Dax part of her realizes that she has to have a conversation with Worf just to kind of clear the air and to get yeah. it out there. And there is this whole thing about you know she doesn't want to stay on the station because of Worf, which is understandable. Yeah. 
And, you know, O'Brien comes to Worf's quarters, and I, I like the little moment where he hands him the blood wine. It's like, we can just skip the drinking, and, <laughs> you know, because the last time they did that, O'Brien was, was hurting pretty badly And uh, the next day. And, you know, really does, I think, convince Worf. And the, the thing about Worf is that, again, I don't like Worf as a character very much. I, I, I think that, that yeah. I, if he was a real person, I don't think that I would like him. But in this episode, he does show himself to have learned and grown a little bit. And, you know, that 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 con- that very brief conversation that that Esri and Worf have in uh, uh, Esri's per, you know, per, uh, uh, temporary quarters is really nice because it shows that Worf is not ready to let go of yeah. Jadzia, but he is willing to. I think view Ezri Dax as a person separate from Jadzia. And yes, it is confusing to him, but I think he's realizing that Ezri Dax is not Jadzia and that he needs to treat her as her own person. And that's why you see at the end of the episode, that very nice thing where he holds up the mug yeah. and she's like, okay, we're, we're getting there. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, we're cool. This is not, you know, we're, we're not going to, maybe we'll never, I don't know where their relationship is eventually going to go. I have no idea, but they get married. Okay. No, they don't. <laughs> no, no, like, I honestly don't know. I, I assume Ezri is not going to have a relationship with Worf, especially given that, like, when she's talking with uh, Bashir and he's, like, complimenting her eyes and, you know, she's just like, look, no, Jadzia enjoyed that, but that's not me. You know, there, right. there, there is a difference to there. And, I mean, I do like that even though Ezri isn't 100% sure where she ends and Dax begins at this point, she does have certain things that she is very clear on. And again, I think she is starting to get more of a handle on this. It's like she's riding a bike and she keeps getting very off balance, but every day is a tiny bit better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And, and and the one thing that I do like about the episode a lot is Cisco's unabashed joy and love at having another Dax in his life. Yeah. It's a very different, I think it's going to, it, it already seems to be developing as a very different relationship than he had with Jadzia and certainly with Curzon Dax because he obviously is taking the, the mentor role here. He is, you know, he chews Ezri out to spur her on yeah. to rattle her cage, as she says. And, but he also, he's just really, I think he likes Ezri and he yeah. likes having a Dax in his life and he feels better when she's around. And I think it's a nice continuity thing, honestly. And frankly, I think it's, I think Ben is going to be happy when she and Jake finally get together. Like he's definitely going to, you know, they have that little moment where, you know, Jake's like, Oh, she's so keen. And he's like, well, she's about 300 years older than you, but you know, and also Jake is dressed like Dr. Who for some reason. Well, you know, he's bigger on the inside. And, um, (laughs) You know, yeah, when they get married, Ben is going to be beside himself. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see if that happens. Yeah. But we haven't really talked about, I guess, what the episode's kind of about, which is this whole Garrick thing. You know, we haven't actually had a a specifically Garrick episode in a while. And this isn't totally a Garrick episode, of course, because Garrick's claustrophobia is important to the episode. It's important to the, the war effort, but it's also a vehicle for you know, kind of more establishing this character of Ezri that we've already talked about. So I don't know. How are you feeling about where Garrick is? I mean, again, it's not the most interesting plot Garrick's been in. He is kind of a, his plot is a tool for Ezri's plot in a lot of ways, but it does put the, we really haven't thought about what Garrick thinks about working for the Federation, have we? I mean, he's, no. Garrick knows that you know, wherever Ben and everybody is, is where he belongs, you know, Deep Space Nine, 
may not be home, but it is the closest thing that he has to one. And yet he was a, he is a Cardassian. He was very high up in Cardassia, and he knows that you know many of the generals that are going to die as a result of the intelligence they're encoding is are, you know are people that he knows, and he 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 has to deal with the fact that being a traitor is the right thing to do, and there is a shitload of cognitive dissonance. Then mm-hmm. you know that you know for example the fact that we feel that you know we're a I could be talk about Trump again. Like this is <laughs> this is making me bring to Trump again. But like it, it, uh, to feel that betraying your country is the moral thing to do is a very difficult yeah. part for Garrick to yeah. be in. He is again dealing with another iteration of the needs of the many, the Alpha Quadrant versus the needs of the few, the Cardassian people. And again, the few in this case happen to be his people. Even though there are people who exiled him, many of whom would have rather see him shot on sight, they are still where he comes from. Yeah, true. And I think that the the episode actually is is really uh, smart and looks at this very baldly because, you know, Ezra says, well, you're going to be saving a lot of Cardassian lives. And Garrick says, you know, no, I'm not. You know, I'm going to be saving, you know, Vulcan lives and human lives and Klingon lives and Romulan lives. But, um, you know... I'm not going to be saving Cardassian lives because the Dominion is going to make my people fight to the bitter end. And, yeah. you know, that is a that is the stark reality of the situation. I think that is really where um, his his panic is coming from and his claustrophobic attacks are yeah. really coming from. And, you know, if you look at it and you say, I mean, I don't know a lot about claustrophobia, but um, it, it is some sort of, you know, existential, you know, psychic, um, uh, you know, problem with being in closed spaces. And so... But he's feeling the weight of all of that, yeah. you know, stress and guilt on him, which is causing him to to it seems to me causing him to exhibit these claustrophobic, you know, outbreaks. Yeah, he's getting panic attacks, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, um, yeah for for Garrick and a lot for Cardassia, basically signed the for Garrick. I almost thinks that Cardassia signed its own death warrant the second that it invited the Dominion. Sure, in. now it's sure. really just about. Finding the best and most dignified way for Cardassia to go. There is no good end. If Cardassia wins the war, it's still under Dominion control. Yeah. And yeah, because the Dominion is not going to give up Cardassia. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we haven't seen um, Cardassia this week, but I think they realize that they are now intertwined with the Dominion. Yeah. And there's no getting out of it unless they really lose the war and drive the Dominion back to the Gamma Quadrant or something like that. Which, yeah. Will that happen? We'll just have to find out. But, I mean, Cardassia is going to have to make some very secret alliances with the Federation in order to push the Dominion out and then, I, I, I mean, I mean, the amount that it takes for them to extricate the... Uh, all of the Trump voters from Cardassia is going to be <laughs> extreme. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I think the last thing to talk about before we move on to uh, take me out to the Hall of Suite is the one thing that really does, does rub me the wrong way um, with this episode. And I think I'm a little worried about how they're developing Ezri and Bashir because – and they're, they're really, really retconning the Jadzia and Bashir thing pretty hard. Uh, I, I, you know, that, where she's that, like, yeah, it could have been you. If well, it, it said, yeah, it would, it would have been – she says it would, it would have been you if Worf hadn't come along. And well, there were like four years before Worf came along. I know. That's the thing, and that's what really bothers me about it is that the show did a really good job of showing that Jadzia was flattered but, but disinterested yeah. and amused by Bashir's you know, attentions. You know, remember Jadzia early on in the show in the first and second? 
second seasons especially was very aloof and um you know she she really was not interested in Bashir at all and Bashir was young and he was green and he was yeah. insistent on this and and realized that it wasn't going to happen and they developed a nice friendship yeah. and to take it back to Jadzia secretly thinking or harboring some sort of romantic feelings for Bashir and just like it it goes into all that stuff about you know men wearing women down and yeah. you know it's just I don't like it and I wish the show just hadn't done it. No, I agree with you that that that's and I because I think it I think it cheapens the friendship that, yeah. that Jadzia Dax and Bashir developed. Really, yeah, especially yeah. There are so many moments where Bashir talks about his friendship with Jadzia as kind of the better part of things and. This denies that. Yeah. And this cheapens her relationship with Worf and this cheapens everything. You know, I, I, I'm i fine that Quark thinks that this is his opportunity to have another chance because it's Quark. But, you know, I don't know. I, I Like I said, I hope Ezri ends up with Jake and not Bashir because <laughs> – Doctor Who, you mean? Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, I, I think that's it for this episode. Let's uh, Let's move on to take me out to the Hall of Suite. I liked Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite because it was a very nice light comedy episode that, again, this week we kind of needed, but it was a very funny episode. Yeah, it is very funny. I think it's actually one of the, the, the rare times that Star Trek in general <laughs> does a comedy episode that's actually legitimately funny. I mean, I laughed out loud at the, the scotch gum. Yeah. <laughs> like stuff like that. <laughs> um, I, I, I like the fact – I always like it when these characters are dealing with sort of 20th, 21st century stuff that has obviously gone out of fashion. Like nobody yeah. nobody chews gum in the 24th century, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But uh, nobody plays baseball, so nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Um, <laughs> and you know, well, and half the characters aren't even from Earth, so this really more they, than half, I think. Yeah, that was the nice thing at the end of the episode when you, they're all needling Solak, and you know, they're like, "Oh, I can't even tell who a human is." <laughs> Did I forget to wear my spots this morning? You know, and you've got you've got a uh, uh, you know Kira and Quark and Rom and Lita and you know Worf. You know, Nog. there's a Nog. There's a lot of non-humans there. I think the majority non-humans, but yeah, I mean, the one, well, the one thing I want to talk about for I mean, because. I don't know that there's like a lot to actually talk about with the episode, of course, because most of it is just a baseball game, which is very nice. And, you know, Odo it's gets Star- a chance to shine. It's Star Trek does bad news bears. It's everybody gets to ham it up. Again, this is one of those where, you know, Rene Aubergenois had a hell of a fun time doing this episode. <laughs> but uh, I, I kind of want to talk about the establishment of this Captain Solot character. Yeah. Specifically about the fact that he's an asshole. Yeah. Uh, he's the most antagonistic Vulcan we've ever had. Right. And, and I, I love him. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't want to go too far down a road of talking about what, what Enterprise specifically does with, with Vulcans, but this is kind of the start of, like, Vulcans as, like, aloof assholes. And yeah. I'm never sure how I feel about it. I think that it works for this one character. Yes, yes. You know, the the the, the you know, speech that... Uh, uh, he gives uh, that Cisco gives to Cassidy Yates about why exactly Solak has it in for Cisco makes complete sense. I think it totally makes yeah. sense that we could have a Vulcan that you know is frankly being illogical. I mean, this is a crazy Vulcan. This is a well, I, I scratch that from the record. This is a very unusual Vulcan. He is somebody who who isn't 
I, I mean, we, we see outliers in every species, and this is an sure. outlier for Vulcans. We haven't seen too many Vulcans like this guy, and so— We haven't seen too many Vulcans, period. Yeah, but the few we've seen, number one, have been an older generation, have been Spock and Sarek, and we've also seen uh, Savik and people like that who are very different from this, but you can see a very weirdly obsessive Vulcan who— I mean, he's extremely emotional. The thing about Vulcans, as we've always said, is not that they have no emotions. It's that they express their emotions very differently. Right, right. This one— They're very controlled. I mean, I love how when he's watching practice, you see him smirking, which is you could tell the—I mean, the actor does a great job because that's the Vulcan equivalent of, you know, doubled over laughing, you know, when he is— Acting so arrogant, that's that's him screaming and yelling, and he, he does uh, – the other characters do kind of see him as being very irrational. Again, this is the equivalent of somebody just blowing up and being very loud and screaming everywhere. Yeah, it's true, and I mean, you know, to be clear, it is very irrational for him to carry on this feud yeah. for so many years. I mean, you know, Cisco's been out of the academy for what, like 20 years at this point? Yes. And so, you know, you look at this and you say the man is, he says he's written like 10 papers on this, and he starts <laughs> out each paper with this thing about the wrestling match, and... Yeah, even Cisco says, like, if it had ended there, like, whatever, it would have been, you know, every junior officer needs a humbling, that was my humbling, you know? And then he wrote five papers. Okay, whatever. And then, you know... Right, because I think that the nice thing, I mean, you kind of intimated about this, but it, it, it is nice that Deep Space Nine is continuing the tradition of, you know, expanding out the, the alien races yeah. and, and really uh, cementing them as very different from, you know, they, they can have characters, they can have people that are not the sort of like uh, uh, stereotypical Klingon or the stereotypical Cardassian yeah. or whatever. And, and they're continuing that. I mean, like, like I said, again, we have not seen significant amount of Vulcans in a long time. TNG specifically really stayed away from them for the most part um, because they wanted to differentiate themselves from, from yeah, the original yeah, yeah. series and Spock. And of course, Spock is one of the best characters in all of Star Trek, perhaps the best character in all of Star Trek. And he's still, he's known by people that know nothing about Star Trek to this day. And, uh, you know, again, Deep Space Nine also really stays away from Vulcans. You know, we have a main cast member in, in Voyager who's a Vulcan at this point. So perhaps the show felt like it was time to, to bring a Vulcan into it. Yeah. And I, but I like the fact that, again, they're doing something different with the Vulcans and allowing a Vulcan to be illogical, allowing a Vulcan to hold a grudge. And, you know, it certainly is outside of the, the, what, the expected range of behavior that we have come to know from, from Vulcans. But at the same time, I think it makes sense because, of course, yeah. there's going to be Vulcans that hold grudges. Yeah, of course there are going to be plenty of we, – we saw Spock feel that he was slightly superior for his ability to control his emotions. And we can see you know, in, in TNG that was funny. That was kind of one of the running jokes. That was a way that he needled bones and which was also – In TOS, you mean? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, which was his way of showing affection for bones in many ways. Yeah. Um, here we see seven. I mean, I mean, maybe Solak has has is majorly having a crush on Ben. Then this is just the weird way he's managed to manifest it. But and it's strange to me that that Solak is the captain of a ship that's that's entirely Vulcans. Yeah, you know that's that that's something that has been established in Star Trek for a long time, all the way back in the original series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, so I understand why they're continuing that, but it does seem a little weird to me that they they that Starfleet does allow ships to be staffed entirely by one species like no it does seem like an outdated in a way concept or you know one which and also why is it a ship that has a 
name a human name that seems weird to me too but anyway yeah i know again maybe maybe he took he was the second mate of a human captain and then eventually started staffing it with his own people who knows but 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 that also makes me wonder if his ship is really that at the forefront i mean maybe this is just you know, maybe Vulcan does have a tradition of there's one or two ships that are all Vulcan and just that's what they do. And, you know, the Federation just accepts that. But again, right. in light of where the Federation has gone in the past couple hundred years, it's, you know, that that it's it's a little outdated, not, you know. I guess the Vulcans can do whatever they want because they're one of the founding members of the Federation. Yeah. And also the Andorians and Tellarites are MIA. So. <laughs> yeah. No, we, that no one really cares about them, do they? It's sad. Uh, they're they're an enterprise. Oh, good. Yeah, they they do some stuff with them. They bring them back. They have to because it's a prequel. It's back in the day. Um, back in the day, yes, back in the day of twenty one fifty one. But I think that that you know the the baseball game to me is interesting, of course, because that takes up the bulk of the episode, and it's very fun to watch. It's very fun to watch these characters in a in a fish out of water setting, yeah. like you said, basically DS nine doing bad news bears. You know from the very beginning that there's no way they're going to win this. <laughs> that none of them have played baseball before, except for Jake Cassidy and and Ben. Ben's not even playing; he's the coach, and the Vulcans obviously, you know, Solak for has convinced the, all the Vulcans to play <laughs> baseball for some reason, I guess, because he knows that Ben Sisko likes it and he's had this plan in motion for years. So, you know, <laughs> so you know that all of the, all of his players have been practicing and playing baseball for much longer than, you know, Kira and Worf and Nog and Rom and all those characters. Oh no, he waited until they could beat every single simulation to do even think about going to DS nine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, I like the fact that the show really does make it a blowout. You know, they they kind of get better towards the end. They the last shot they show of the the scoreboard. You know, the the last two innings, they the logicians, which is a great game, <laughs> yeah. uh, scored you know no runs in the last two innings. So it seems like they were getting better at you know playing these these people, but. Uh, they also get their one run, and that's a big deal, and everyone's happy because it's Rom, and it's, you know, it's a I, nice big moment for him. And it's I, I think they're even – they don't even care that he got a run. They care, care that he just bunted the ball. Like if no one got a run from that, they would be just as – but you know that's kind of the episode's point that a being of pure logic can only take victory as who has the highest score. A beings of emotion like all the humanoids that – you know all of the Niners uh, – Number one, they can be swayed by a cheering crowd to do better. They can yeah. take just a moral victory of one person to be, you know, that means that we won. We don't really care about the score. What matters is that all of us manage to have fun and enjoy ourselves together, come together as a team, as a family, that we all can go together to Quarks to celebrate. At the end, that's really – and that's the thing that Solok just can't get his head around. Because right. that is completely illogical, but it doesn't matter. Right. And I think that's the thing too about it is that really what it comes down to is the fact that you know they lose the game. That's very clear. But it wasn't really about winning the game. Yeah. It was about them coming together as a family and and proving that they can they can really do something fun and meaningful and and frankly blow off steam and forget about the war a little bit too. Yeah, I mean in a way there is a lot of parallels that we can draw to the war in terms of raw numbers is the federation going to beat the dominion it's been very especially during statistical probabilities it was clear that no that's not what's going to happen but 
these are people of emotion. They are people who can band together and right. come very close and take the moral victories as the real victories. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, Vulcans are not good at blowing off steam for sure. And uh, it, it, it's it's interesting to me because the Vulcans in this episode, you know, aside from Solok, you know, really get no screen time. I don't think any of them actually have a line yeah. except for Solok. They they're non entities, and I think that's kind of the point because. It doesn't really matter who the Niners are playing. It's the fact again that they're coming together yeah. to to try and and defeat this this enemy, quote unquote. But it's also because <laughs> they're they know they're not going to. And even Worf seems happy with it. And Worf is one of the most competitive people that I think we've ever had on Star Trek. <laughs> well, because they realize that in a way, by being able to come together, they unmask Solog for the petty person that he really is. I mean, they, you, you, when Cisco's telling Cassidy, you know, don't tell anybody about this, they're not going to understand. And she, you know, they do the Gilligan cut to, all right, I'm supposed to keep the secret, but everybody does completely understand. And they, they do want that does strengthen their resolve to do well for Ben as a way to kind of boost him up. This is his game. This is one of the, Things which Ben has been very identified. Remember, his his the presence of his baseball shows whether or not he's going to be in a place or not, wherever he considers home. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's not incidental that this ends with another signed baseball, but one signed by the team. Yeah, no, absolutely, because that's the literal embodiment of them coming together. Yeah, exactly. That's the team that uh, Ben is on, and I love that Worf's signature is just block letters. <laughs> <laughs> he's got his fist down he's got the crayon because i was gonna say for a second well he wouldn't know you know human alphabet oh wait he would he was raised on you know someone like kira may not know how to write her name in you know using you know Arab, uh whatever roman letters what's what's regular letters roman called? roman letters arabic numerals yes okay yes you that's, got it that's very confusing. unless trump changes it which wow. he might do Let's have to write Trump, 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 and different inflections of our voice will, you know, determine the meaning. Yeah, yeah. What What do you think? I mean, are there are there any you know deeper meanings to the fact that it is baseball aside from the fact that it's something that Ben knows and loves? Solok knows he knows and loves it. You know, it is this very like archaic thing. The show has made this clear that the baseball is not really played by anybody anymore. You know, that's how Cassidy and Ben got together in the beginning because remember back in like i think what was she in the fourth season she yeah. was established and her brother lives there and they had a team and they go listen to one of the games and it's all very cute and nice but it, it's it's funny because i think baseball is it, it's it's re- i mean it is really complicated and and i don't really know much about it and it's see i didn't remember this was giving me flashbacks to gym class and i i think they were kind of making a little more out of the rules then because one of the things about baseball is that it is the kind of game that a bunch of kids can just go into a vacant lot and play right like it's well yeah you know so well, the, 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 obviously the vulcans are going to play using every single logical technicality in the rule book the, sure the mechanics of the game are pretty straightforward but it's all of the rules and norms that have been codified into yeah. the rule book that really get crazy and you know, it, it it is the kind of thing where, you know, I can watch a baseball game and understand what's going on, but or follow it at least and understand, okay, well that person just got a run or that person just got out or whatever, but like all this stuff about like, you know, fly balls and technicalities and this Yeah, thing, I can't you know. tell what a ball is exactly. Like when you get like 
three balls, four balls is a walk. And like, I don't know what counts as a ball as opposed to a strike. I think it has to go outside of the box, but yeah. not over the plate. But if then the ball it, goes over the plate and you don't hit it, it's a strike. If the ball doesn't go over the plate, but it's inside those lines, it's a ball. Yeah. And you don't hit it, obviously. Yeah. But if you hit a ball that's outside the box that would be called as a ball and you hit it, I think that's an out. Oh. Yeah, so, see, I don't know any of this. It's complicated. Yeah. But then again, you know, men that are not in the best shape can play baseball. So this is not a game. That That's the other thing, too, that, that I like about it is like it, that is a, a metaphor for, I think, the entire war that, you know, Ben makes the point that, you know, this is a game that is played by all types of people. It is not just about raw strength, yeah, raw speed. True. You know, the Vulcans, I think this might be the first time that they've actually established numerically exactly how much stronger and faster they are than humans. You know, Cassidy says, well, he's three times stronger than yeah. you and twice as fast or something. You know, averages, of course. But uh, uh, this is not that kind of, of game. You know, it's not going to come down to that. And in the same way that... I don't think the Federation Dominion War is going to come down to yeah. raw numbers of ships, raw numbers of soldiers, all that kind of stuff. It is really going to come down to who has the better plan of attack, who has the better strategists, these kinds of things, who has the better tactics. Well, yeah. I mean, Ben says this is a game of courage and heart. That's what it takes to win baseball. And that's why I think Worf likes it, too. Yeah. It's a game how, of honor. How, how, do you, how are you feeling about, uh, about Rom and Lita? I haven't seen them in a while. It's good to see them again. I'm glad she's back. I'm glad they're together. I think it's cute that they wanted to join the team as a family, you know? Yeah, it's cute. I like it. And and I think that um, I don't understand why Nog is part of the senior staff, but okay, that's hey. fine, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he's a regular cast member, right? No, he's not. Oh. No, he's not in the opening credits. Oh, then I don't know. No, Nog isn't. Uh, Lita isn't. Rom isn't. Cast Yates obviously <laughs> isn't. Jake Sisko inexplicably is a main cast member, even though he doesn't appear in that many episodes. Well, but he got a check every week, so good for him. Yeah. Uh, I hope he bought himself a steak dinner. He seems to be doing well. I've seen him in conventions. Uh, Sirik Lofton. So good. You know, he's, I think, my age or a little bit older. Probably a little bit older, actually, yeah, because he was like probably 20 by this point. Yeah. So I wasn't 20 in 1999. I was almost 20, but not quite 20. Well. Um, yeah, I, I like this episode. I think, and it's exactly the type of episode that I think you know we needed this week. Now, of course, you're you're listening to this much later, but um, since Trump has already deported three million Muslims even before he's become president, mm. uh, uh, and has put Richard and I into camps, um, you'll probably need this episode too. So, if there is no more episodes to talk about after this, uh, uh, just know that we loved you. Yeah, we did. Take me out to the ball game, Hollow Sweet. Yes, I think that's it. Yeah. Now I'm depressed. Now we're depressed. Well, if you're depressed. Or if you work for the FBI and you want to arrest us. Please uh, leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash trekabout, which also supports our other podcast tuning in. Uh, We are still in uh, talking about the United States of Terror in that show. Uh, We're going to be talking about the episodes The Truth Hurts and You Becoming You this week. Um, If you have not been listening to the Tuning In uh, United States of Terror podcast, you should. The show is very, very good. And we're trying to uh, shine a light on a show that a lot of people have forgotten about. So do that. Yeah. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our username is Show, And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Trekabout. We haven't gotten a new one in a while, and we would love to have one. All right. You ready to find out what we're going to be watching next week and is, talking about? No. We're going to be talking about the episodes Chrysalis <gasps> and Treachery, Faith, and the Great River. Ooh. That one does not sound optimistic. Mm.